Hi, and welcome to another Kirky Free Sermons podcast. We hope that our sermons help you further your understanding of the Word of God and guide you into your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you're tuning in on podcast or radio, we're glad that you're here today. Let's jump into this week's message. I'd like us to open up to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4. Would you stand with me as we read? I'm going to begin with verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs And the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed. They were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. You can be seated. I believe and still believe that God desires to do mighty things in and through this body. Jesus promised his followers that they would do greater works than he. And that was not a platitude, it was a promise, which he met 
with his spirit who's been given to us. And God can do these mighty things here with or without Pastor Nathan and myself. Maybe his purifying work necessitates our parting. But I know what we're all feeling. I've had a bit more time to process this than you. Probably confused. Maybe frustrated. Certainly sad. And I think a word that's been with me a lot is just heavy. Just a heavy, weighty thing. You're probably wondering uh, what, what led to all this? How, did this. how did this come about? How did this happen? That's not something for, we're going to talk about this morning. But another question that I want to bring before you, which I think is going to also be on your mind, is where do we go from here? And how do we go? Where do we go from here? And how do we go? And that is why I wanted us to see how God's Word helps us today here in Nehemiah 4. All of us, all of us together, have a common enemy who wants to exploit this moment in this church, whose name is the devil, and he is not inactive. So when you attempt to do great things for God, as we saw the people of Israel doing at this moment, know this, it will not go unchallenged. It will not be without setbacks. When you get serious about the work of God, the devil gets serious about you. But as long as we're not excited about God, as long as we're not calling upon His name, and as long as we're just working in our own power to make things happen, the devil won't take much notice. He wouldn't. That's how he wants the church. Minimally effective. right? Just enough. He'll let us do something, but just enough to make us think that we're okay the way it is. right? So we can rely on ourselves. But for those who have experienced the grace and the glory of Jesus Christ, minimal just won't do. Christ's name must be magnified, right? Not merely through the words we say or our own statements, but through the life that we live in anything and in everything. And so we've been calling on God, right? In the past few weeks, I felt a hunger here to experience God. That there's a readiness for Him to work. And so guess whose attention we got? Listen, this today and what you read in our letters yesterday is not the end 
of the story. No, I don't have any more letters to read to you today. I mean, it's not the end for you or me or Nathan. So I want to show you where we've been in our studies so far and where we're at now. In the weeks prior, we saw that God's people resolved. They said, we're going to do this together. We're going to rebuild our city, right? And then in the next chapter, chapter 3, we read of the names of these men and women, right, who through faith engaged in this great deed, and that wall came together, right? From one end, circuit all the way around to the other, stone by stone, and it was done. It was completed. Because when God's in it, we remember, we saw this, His purpose will not be thwarted. He will not fail. It's going to happen. But what we haven't yet been told is the process of how it actually came about and what the people of Israel had to face and to go through in order for that wall to go up. And I tell you, there came a moment not unlike today when it looked like defeat. When morale was at an all-time low and hope was fading fast. Like verse 15. I'm sorry, not verse 15. Verse 10, right? It says there, chapter 4, verse 10. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So the work of God is not without its moments of crisis. When the situation feels hopeless. From even before they began this good work, we knew there was adversity to it. And when they finally got into it, started building, that adversity from their enemies didn't lessen, it didn't go down, it intensified. Right? Notice chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. That's what the devil does. He gets enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army, what are these feeble Jews doing? Right? Mocks them. Despite the ridicule and the crude jokes, they kept at it. Verse 6. So we built the wall. And the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. And then verse 7 happens. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Let me give you the scope here. That's everyone around Jerusalem, right? North, south, east, west. They're surrounded by people angry at them. So now we're moving from, well, verse 8. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So now we're moving from 
insults and mocking to death threats, physical violence, sowing seeds of fear and confusion. That is what the enemy does. He wears us down with constant oppression against the mind and the heart. I think that's a lot of us have been dealing with. But each time, what did God's people do in the face of that onslaught? The verse 4. Hear, O our God. Nehemiah just prays, right? Verse 9. And we prayed to our God. So your first task of how you begin to think about going forward and how you might do that is not to strategize. It's not to come up with a plan. I know we're all good at that or try to fix everything that went wrong here. There'll be time for that. Even Israel here is going to do things. They're going to have to change the way they go about their work. But they always turned to God first. They prayed. And you, as a church, are going to need to mobilize for prayer. You need to mobilize for prayer. We are against overwhelming odds, spiritually speaking. And as we all know, we are vulnerable, we are weak, we are weary. But I will remind you that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So what do you do? You abide, right? Abide in Jesus. What you see throughout this book, which I love, is just a testament of a people who kept abiding in their Lord. Prayer to them was not just a formality. Prayer was what John Piper referred to this as a wartime, because that's what the, really the situation we're all in is wartime. We're in a battle, like a wartime walkie-talkie, so you just keep it on hand. And you phone up when you need it, because the battle rages and it keeps on going. And our enemy is poised to keep us, listen, like a lame duck. Just keep you ineffective. But by the grace of God, that's not who you are. You're not a lame duck. You are ambassadors of the King for this town and for this generation. You've been entrusted with the eternal hope of the gospel and endowed with the power to proclaim it because you have the spirit of the living God. You are warriors for God. You're God's man. You're God's woman. God's teen. That's your true identity. And you need to believe it. And you need to fight the good fight, which is not in here. It's out there. Fight the good fight. So on days like this, when you feel like your strength has been sapped, and there's too much against you, pray. Pray with others, right? I know you want to, you're going to want to talk about this with people. Do so, but why not say, hey, you know, let's get together and we should pray for our church. Let's pray. So do that. 
Mobilize. Prayer is the reason I'm speaking to you today. I couldn't do it any other way. But second, know that opposition will create pressures to give up. Opposition will create pressures to give up. Notice how this happens. Okay, verse 11. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. In verse 12, at that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. You say, what's happening here? Here's what's going on. Because of the threats against the builders in Jerusalem, all the people from the surrounding villages are coming and they're pleading with them, probably because these are their family members or their friends or their neighbors, right? their relatives, and they're saying, it's too dangerous to keep on. Come back to us. Come back home. In other words, abandon the work. And in times like this, you know there will be added pressure to give up. Now, I know not all of you will just up and leave. But there are other ways to throw in the towel, like you just check out emotionally, where you're present, but you're not really here. Don't do that. I'm going to ask you not to do that. Don't write off this leaky ship. It's leaky. It's been said, and I think it's true, that oftentimes it gets the hardest right before you're about to break through. So remember where your confidence is and lean in. It's not in any leader or man or structure. The structure of your church won't save you. Or your bank account. When Nehemiah heard these pleas to abandon Jerusalem, he arose among his shaken community and he said to them in verse 14, Do not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Remember him who's great and awesome. So friends, do not be shaken by this. Remember the Lord, who is the unchanged, undaunted shepherd of this church, the good shepherd. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Remember him. So why would Scripture tell us to remember the Lord if it wasn't true that we are prone to forgetfulness, especially in a moment like this, right? Jesus is not caught off guard by any of this. Jesus is at work right here, right now. I believe that. Because I've called on him to work. And that's what we need to remember so that as David did once, right? It says this in Scripture that he strengthened himself in the Lord. That's what they're doing here. 
Remember the Lord. Strengthen yourself in the Lord, right? Be strong in the Lord, Paul said, and in the strength of his might. As we do that, abide and remember. You know, I think of another very somber day in the history of God's people. Morale was at an all-time low, and hope was all but lost. Man, they had been so certain that God was working, that he was about to do something really great, and that's when it happened. Ridicule, mocking, beating, and then a plot. Not unlike our story, but which did end in death. And not just any death, but an abject horror of a death. It was a failure. Or so they thought. But as you know, that was not the end of the story for Jesus of Nazareth or his disciples. For on the third day, the Lord of glory broke through those chains of death. And from an empty tomb, undefeatable hope came pouring out with forgiveness for all, with grace for all. (laughs) And when all is said and done, all of us in here know this, that God will have the victory. Jesus is alive, and God will accept each and every one, on the basis of his payment for your sin. When you turn to him, and when you believe in his name. So there's hope for you. Hope for your life. Hope for our church. Hope for Kirkoven. And hope for the world. So you must go forward, friends. Abiding and remembering. Believing. God can and wants to do great things, redemptive things here in this town. Amen? Can I pray for you? Jesus, we fix our gaze on the throne of heaven where you are seated on high. Your work of redemption is done. It's been completed. You've paid for sins and rose victorious. So even though the battle wages, the war is done. In that light and in that confidence, I pray that you would raise up your warriors to fight for you, to fight for your name. Not in their own strength, God, but calling on you. So God, I pray that you would impart to them today an extra measure of your spirit and your presence. And I pray, God, that you would use this parting 
in ways that we could not imagine so that your kingdom goes forth from our lips, from where it once did not. You would cause those who couldn't walk to walk by faith. Those who couldn't speak to speak by faith. Those who couldn't stand to stand by faith. To love one another. And to love those, the other sheep, who are in this town, but haven't heard your voice yet. Draw them, Father. Make this church a light. A haven. We are imperfect. We are weak. But I just thought about that question that that sand ballad asks, will they think they'll revive these burned stones, these rubbish stones? And God's just like, yes, that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all the rubble and the ruin of our lives, and I'm going to make something beautiful of it. That's what you do, God. You take that which is nothing, and you make it something. So do that here again. Build us up. Jesus, it's your church. So keep building her. In your name we pray. This message was brought to you by the Kirkoven Evangelical Free Church of Kirkoven, Minnesota. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please email us at kirkefree at gmail.com. That's K-E-R-K-E-free at gmail.com. <laughs>